it's an entire system that you're trying to get. Every little thing that fits into the process has been qualified and can be depended on from the raw materials coming in the door to the vials, to the stoppers, to the machinery, the environment, the filters, you know, the HEPAs and all that, the air quality and differentials, all of that stuff fitting together. Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts as well as other leading industry authorities. With your host, Ed Narkey. Hi guys, it's Ed Narkey. Welcome to CMC Live again. I'm here to play another round of What Are Your Thoughts and tell us about drug development with my co-host, Miranda and Brian. Hello, folks. How are you? Hello. Very good. Thank you. So today we have a special guest, Mike Carroll, who joins us. Mike is an accredited microbiologist, according to our website. I would love to hear more about that. <laughs> and over 35 years of product development, quality control, GMP manufacturing experiences in the drug product uh, microbiology side as well. So today happens to be the start of the PDA conference 2021 style, live from New Orleans, digitally, virtually. And uh, it's also a good town to visit, unfortunately, probably not at this time, but down the road. So interested to learn more about what microbiology and the pharma industry means and how it applies and any other, you know, true stories from Mike. So at this point, why don't we get started and Mike, maybe tell us a little bit how you got into this role and maybe some of the experiences. And certainly, I think we all have a lot of questions for you. Oh, well, thanks. I actually have been very lucky in my career. I have gone with companies that used to try and get into new areas and new types of product lines, which let me learn an awful lot about an awful lot of things. Radioimmunoassay, different types of blood grouping and typing sera, and eventually into parental drugs. Uh, my first company made Rogam, which was the first RH immune hemolytic disease of a newborn treatment and then into OKT3, which was an, essentially an immunotherapy. It, it reduced rejection of organ transplants. It was a monoclonal antibody, and that's where I met Brian first in production of that drug. Yeah, no, you, that was a long time ago. And I've gotten a great deal of serendipitous experience in different companies and different types of products, and I've been hands-on involved in developing and validating and registering and getting approval for all kinds of different parenteral drugs and other products, which makes a kind of an interesting career. And it also gives me a certain kind of versatility. You know, I've had a hand in a lot of different and kind of cutting edge stuff, isolators, all sorts of different new technologies and sterilization and so forth. So it's it's been a lucky run, and it's actually 44 years total, although we aren't counting. <laughs> well, you know, and to Mike's point, I did meet Mike at that OKT3 facility. Kidney transplants, right, was the indication they were going after. And mm -hmm. my first foray into the industry and the appreciation and respect for aseptic processing actually came out of Mike's teachings. I was a sterile fill operator 
a while ago, and I really didn't know much about it. I had actually been promoted from operating a forklift, and which is a little bit different than aseptic processing. So I was lucky that I was surrounded by with people that Mike had trained that had the same equal respect for aseptic processing. And then I took those lessons throughout my career, just passing those teachings on. And I actually borrowed quite a bit from what I learned from Mike, I may have pawned it off as my own, but it was really helpful. And then I was lucky enough to, to yeah, and I was lucky enough to go to another company where Mike was, and we just, we carried that on and kept pushing the message. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, Mike, was your experience with the PDA, the Parental Drug Association. Back when we first met and I first got started, you know, the, the PDA really was the industry standard for the way the industry relates to uh, regulations and their position on regulations. But perhaps you could maybe just talk a little bit about, well, how long you've been in the PDA and then some of the early days and what the, the influence the PDA had in the early days on industry. Yeah, I've probably been, I got to be senior enough, I think, to belong in probably 1980 or 81. And uh, at that time, the basic thing was that FDA would come out with regulations and then occasionally they would put out points to consider documents or guidelines and things like that. And the industry would get these things. And in a lot of cases, they would look at them and say, is this written in Serbo-Croatian? What does this mean? How do I deal with this? And PDA was kind of the bridge. You know, it's parenteral drug association. Its focus is sterile injectable products, but it's into all kinds of different things. And the earliest things that I remember were these joint conferences and the best and most wonderful were the ones where they got industry represented by John Lee from, I think, Altano out on Long Island, and Hammer and Hank Avalon from the FDA, who was their heaviest inspector, particularly if you had sterile facilities or water for injection production. And those two would put on what amounted to a floor show. I mean, they really had tremendous respect for each other, and they worked very well together, but it was like a comedy team. And you came out of it with your sides hurting, but you learned an awful lot about what does FDA really expect you to do? And how do they really expect you to comply with these things without giving you any direct instructions? You know, because the GMPs are super broad brush. Yeah. You know, how do you actually physically comply with those without costing yourself into the stratosphere? And yeah, because the regulations they, don't come with how-to with directions. You just had to figure yeah. it out. Yeah. Right. And PDA was starting to put out these technical reports and documents that would really hands-on guide you through it. Yeah. And if you were trying to validate an autoclave or a sterilizer or a lyophilizer or something like that, those documents were invaluable because that would actually give you the how-to and then if you complied with that, you knew the FDA was going to walk in and look at what you had and say, okay, you're cool. There's a couple that stood out. I mean, filter validation was one, yeah. but also the guidance for media simulations, right? They became uh-huh. SOPs. That's still a massive one. Yeah. 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 Still today, in fact. I mean, people that don't know how to set up their programs, that is the blueprint for how to do it. Yeah. And we could give you a few blueprints on how not to do it, as I recall. Yes, we can. (laughs) 
So, Mike, I have two questions for you. Sorry, I have to say yeah. I'm going to forget the second one. But first question is, can you give us like two talking points, maybe two things that you learned out of those conferences with this good gentleman, just that you still kind of hear in your brain every time, like some two things that really stood with you over time. And then the second one is, can you tell us more about the PDA technical reports? Because I learned a little bit about them. I actually used them a lot when I was kind of doing just trench work back in the day. You know, yeah. they still, are they still relevant? Have they held up the test of time? Can you pull them out and still, you know, kind of be up to speed with what the expectations are? So those two questions. Yeah. We can hear more. Well, to the second one first, uh, yes, they are still being updated regularly and new ones are being published all the time. They pull really experts from the industry. You know, they don't fool around. They get the guys who work with lyophilizers to work on the technical report for lyophilizers. And the same with autoclaves and ovens and, you know, deparagination and endotoxin testing and all of that stuff. Ditto for environmental monitoring and things like that. So they're still absolutely relevant. And more importantly, the FDA and now the EMA and the Japan Pharmacopeia and all of those agencies are also cooperating and looking at those documents as, you know, the guidelines. They're still absolutely relevant and they still carry a lot of weight as well they should. Yeah. The other question was what again? <laughs> well, yeah, to the point of the technical reports, yeah, an excellent resource and valuable for folks that aren't aware of them, you know, certainly they, they're modified a bit over time, but some of the core stuff, it's, you know, accessible for, for anyone. Interpretation and implementation different, right? But we can get into that later. So the, yeah, the first one was the, the original PDA conferences that you attended with some of the individuals that were some of the industry you know, pins and, and you listen to them, obviously have a lot of respect for them. A couple of things I was wondering, you know, if two or three things or one, one or two things that you learned that were instilled inside of you, you know, that you can still hear and you practice every day and that you can share with the, any audience of this podcast. No, well, the, the biggest things that are most frequently used in my case are the media fill, as Brian mentioned, and environmental monitoring. You know, FDA has, or not FDA, FDA has a guideline on setting up an environmental monitoring program to support a sterile operation. And it's extremely good. And more importantly, it makes it clear that there are certain guidelines that you have to meet initially just to be able to get approval. But that is all moving targets. They want continuous improvement. So you are supposed to be looking at them routinely and seeing if there are any trends and seeing if there are things you can improve and reduce those limits further. You know, the goal is absolutely sterile, which is virtually impossible with aseptic processing with humans involved. But you want to go for that goal. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, Mike, that I remember I learned from you early on was, you know, if, if you're running a program where you constantly pick up nothing. Well, then perhaps you ought to look at what you're actually monitoring because uh -huh. it's there. Yeah. And to, why are you picking up? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I took that forward because right after we worked together, I went to a company out on the West Coast and they were quite proud of, of the fact that they had no recoveries. And then I looked at the, the sampling plan and I looked at, at what they were doing and it made perfect sense why there were no recoveries. And so yeah, nothing happening. Exactly. I pulled out that technical uh, report and I said, let's start with this. And we went through the whole thing and we redid our interventions and what they represented. And 
all of it. And lo and behold, we got actual discernible data we could make decisions from. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, they are actually physically useful. You can print those things out and hand them to somebody and use them. Yeah, and that is in most cases not possible with a section of the GMPs. No, no. Or an FDA guideline. No. You know, because they're talking in the ionosphere up there. And if you have six doctorates, I guess you can make head or tails of that. But I look at that and what? And the PDA boils it down to, okay, look at it this way. That's yeah. why that. Oh, okay. Now I got down to sample size and everything that you need to go into your SOPs. In fact, you know, we still use the technical report as a reference with our clients because Mm -hmm. when we go and inspect a a sterile facility, we're going to make sure at a minimum that the first thing you go to is is their media program. That's the the easy one. And by the way, that's the first thing an investigator goes to as well because they're familiar with it. So, you know, I learned that as well. And, you know, you mentioned the beginning with the whole floor show reference. And, and I always remembered that the, that one particular investigator, Mr. Avalon, Uh we prepped (laughs) for those inspections with a a healthy degree of fear and to make sure that we prepared and then some, because, you know, you really did get scrutinized and it really was that region because I worked several places throughout the country and it, it was a different standard than it was in those early days coming out of, out of the Newark office. It really was. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. One of the best things I remember is this was the same company. We validated an isolator to do sterility testing in. We were one of the first to get approval to test sterility in an isolator for that OKT3 product. And we heard that there was going to be an inspection, I think, of like Delphin contraceptive foam line or something like that. And I said, okay, no problem. We're fine. I'm up here in micro working on the isolator. That's fine. So I'm over there looking through some data and I look up and there's Hank Avalon smiling at me. He's like, go. And he just came by because he was part of the team and he wanted to see the isolator. So I ended up getting grilled for two hours by Hank Avalon on this freshly approved isolator. And believe me, I had to be on point. That guy knew exactly what he was talking about and exactly what to ask. Yeah. And that's healthy. Yeah. You know, he wasn't trying to bust anybody. He was trying to make sure that you had something reliable. Right, right. It wasn't you know, out of ordinary or anything. It was just compliance. And that's, I think that's why the PDA was always so appealing to me, because it was an environment where you could challenge each other in industry and then invite mm-hmm. input from the regulatory agencies. Like, yeah. And they do that physically. They have specific conferences to bring microbiologists who run environmental programs and investigators from FDA and EMA who investigate those facilities and approve them and put them together in one conference. Yeah, That's invaluable. It really is. And if you consider the impact of the EMA when it comes to sterols and the standard that they have, you know, it's good to have that insight in those technical reports because you know, you're kind of tunnel focused on, you know, the U.S. and the FDA, but you can't see nothing yet till those guys walk in. Yeah. Um, yeah. You think you're covered? Perhaps not. Yeah. Well, their hiring mechanisms are somewhat different. The FDA can take an investigator or could take an investigator of plumbing supplies and turn them into an investigator of pharmaceuticals. Now, the EMA 
would take somebody that had 15 years of experience in industry, some of it in management of sterile products, and then they would be able to be an investigator for the EMA on sterile products. Mm -hmm. So you were looking at it a slightly different level. Yeah. You know, not everyone in FDA who was doing field investigations had Hank Avalon's background or knowledge. Now it's quite different. Yeah. They are much, much more technically capable all across the board yeah. because EMA went that way a long time ago. And the EMA before Brexit, the EMA really was that on-site team. That was that the technical arm of the EU, you know, when they were part of it. And I think mm -hmm. they're scrambling still a bit to this day to, to make up for what's been lost. We had a, a regulatory person on one of the earlier podcasts that was mentioning the impact of Brexit and how inspections are conducted. And now that technical arm that used to come from the UK isn't there now. And they're trying to compensate for that and build that up because they brought a perspective that in the US we hadn't really considered and we had to consider it. Yeah. But it was it, you know, when you cite regulations from Europe, it used to be you would pull the British. Yes. Because they were going to be the standard. Yeah. Anybody else, if you could pass Brit, you could worry about anybody else at all. Absolutely. You know, you were fine. But that was the standard because yep. they were closest to FDA and well beyond FDA in, in a lot of things. Well, and actually in how it's written as well, there's a little more descriptor uh, yeah. you know, there. And so you had the tech report, you had their guidance, and then you had the FDA guidance. And if you can't figure it out from those three sources, well, then yeah. perhaps you should be making bike tires. But um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very I, true. I remember. So, okay. So now we fast forward today. I mean, before things were virtual as they are now, and it was roundtable discussions, those conferences were key, must-have mm -hmm. events. Now it's changed a bit. How would you describe the PDA influence today. You mentioned already how the FDA makeup has changed and evolved and industry and, and FDA seem to be a little more in sync, at least on paper, but how would you describe the role of the PDA today? Well, I think they're going to be far more important than they have been, especially with everything being virtual, even in dealing with clients. I mean, they're operating in a little bit of a vacuum now because, you know, they don't have the exposure to these conferences and these, you know, roundtables and things in the local districts and areas that we had, you know, the PDA and other groups were having those little get togethers all over Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York all the time. And so it was the same down here in the South as well, you know, the Atlanta region that has kind of fallen by the wayside and the virtuals just don't have the same face-to-face, -face, you know, that, you know, you could go to the cocktail hour and talk to these FDA and EMA guys personally, yeah. you know, and find out exactly how they would look at something, you know, something specific that you can discuss with them. Yeah. That's missing now. And they're trying very hard to bring it back, you know, audits and the virtual symposia and things, but they got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah. I mean, I think about it. One of the things that resonated for me that you told me way back when was if you're not willing to put your arm down on the table and take the medicine you just produced, then are you really in the right line of work? If yeah. you don't have that passion for it, you really, and I, I tell you, over the years, I have removed people from those roles because they don't have that passion for it. And yeah. you talk about CMOs and, 
yeah, when you talk about capacity issues and constraints and the rate at which they're churning out high volumes, you know, there's another component of this that can't be overlooked. And and the PDA is really still critical then, I guess, in making sure that standard is understood. Yeah, they've always been critical to that, I think, and, and it's going to get more so. Yeah, we need. That's a great point. I think we heard that throughout the course of the year, right, around having access to folks, you know, up front and in person and some of the stuff you lose. So I think for this weekend with the PDA, I hope to be listening into some of it, but, you know, we'll uh, hopefully see some evolution and, and things will go back to where, you know, we're most successful. So one other question, it's kind of a high level one, Mike, I'm just, you know, fascinated by my stuff. I don't know sometimes, mainly because I don't know it. But, you know, people trained in pharmaceutical microbiology like yourself and it, like certified or credited, you know, I get the sometimes the impression that it's a quality control, quality assurance type of situation, you know, where your role is to make sure that, you know, raw materials or not anything coming with them is not affecting anything in the outcome, you know, monitoring any microbio quality of the environment and anything like that. For anyone that hasn't sat in your chair, you know, doing your job, can you explain, you know, what a daily experiences like and you know some of the things that you like about it and, and some of the things that are you know just kind of only you can bring to the table because I think that's important I think a lot of our folks that we work with here are very unique in the fact that you know they may be a handful of people in the world that can do what they do based on what they've done and learned so I think it's pretty important and you know I'd like to capture some of it here too for posterity's sake because you know we do go back and listen to things like this and learn from them so sorry for the long question. <laughs> Well, it does start with the QC end of things, you know, the raw material testing, the environmental testing and so forth. But it's an entire system that you're trying to get where every little thing that fits into the process has been qualified and can be depended on from the raw materials coming in the door to the vials, to the stoppers, to the machinery, the environment, the filters, you know, the HEPAs and all that, the air quality and differentials all of that stuff fitting together. And when anything pops up that is out of the ordinary, you know, it's kind of an all hands on deck. It's, you know, a murder mystery. You've got something contaminating the system. How did it get there? What are we going to do about it? You know, it's kind of a, a neat thing to be involved in, you know, and it can make you tear your hand out by hair out by the double handfuls upon occasions because you know it's really tough to track this stuff down but it's also indubitably fun you know it's a nice thing to do and uh, yeah. you have to think all kinds of different ways and look at it from all kinds of different viewpoints and as i said i've been unbelievably lucky in my career to have gotten into so many different kinds of products and different kinds of systems and been able to work mostly hands-on with them all. It's a lot of fun when you get into it from that angle and uh, trying to manage something like that. You know, it's, you know, you're, what was the analogy, Brian, what was the analogy? Herding cats. Yeah. Herding cats. Yeah. That's right. It's kind of like herding cats. Yeah. Like this one here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and the thing is, it's ever evolving too. So it's not, it's not boring. What we knew in the eighties and nineties is not what you know today. The one thing I will say that if you haven't been in a clean room, it's hard to appreciate the pressure you're under when you're running that process. When, you know, you hear on the news turning out, you know, 
tens of thousands of millions of units uh, for vaccine. Mm-hmm. But the pressure you're under in that room is really unlike any job that I've had before. You're not depending on a lot. You're not having a life depend on you. You're having tens of thousands of lives depend on you. Exactly. I was lucky enough in my career to meet two people that actually received medicines that I actually worked on. Like I knew for a fact, if they got it, I had my hand on it. And it's a real sobering experience when you see the impact. I used to love in the old days with J&J, they'd come and read the patient letters, remember? Oh, yeah. And if that didn't make you sit up and pay attention, that was brilliant. It was brilliant to have that connection Mm -hmm. with the the end user. My last position was with a cancer immunotherapy company, which was a literally personalized product. The product was a unit of concentrated white cells from the patient that you gave an antigen to and then infused back into the patient to trigger an immune response. So it was literally personalized medicine. And we had patients all the time coming in to tell their story. You know, this is prostate cancer. And this is a therapy where you are getting essentially your own white blood cells back. So no hair and teeth falling out and no feeling like crap. This is something that's stimulating your own body to reject the cancer. And it's an unbelievable technology, but having that direct involvement with the actual patients who are still walking around eight, 10 years after getting the treatment, happy and healthy, that's something, you know, that really resonates. That's worth doing. I remember you worked on a technology. Didn't you work on a, it was a fabric. It was for, you were doing some crazy stuff with, it was a mesh or a membrane. I thought it was harvested and manufactured in a sterile environment. It was a patch that would, for fractured bone, and I know we talked about it. This is years ago. Yeah, it might have been a bone repair gel that I think. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. That was it was a Red Cross thing. Human bone. Yes, that's it. That's it. Yeah. So you do it long enough, the technologies that you get exposed to, I mean, oh, yeah. it really is fascinating. It's a prime example where, you know, what are the regulations? Well, there really aren't any. Yeah. <laughs> so we use the guidance we have to stick to, but there are no specific regulations for that, you know, yeah. so. Well, like, for example, what they have now in wound sealants, which are yeah. actually nothing but crazy glue. Okay, how are you going to filter crazy glue? Tell me, go ahead. <laughs> You're going to put it on a filter and that's the end. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But they figured out a way to do it. <laughs> Just jack the pressure up. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So I guess in a nutshell, I mean, you know, to kind of to bring it back, it's this is exactly what I was hoping for, Ed Miranda, was a chance to kind of talk about PDA the micro side of it and just the, the evolution and some of the stories. And you know, when I look back on my career, certainly appreciated the time I was able to work with Mike and happy that I'm able to work with him again today. You know, just the real personal connection and the ethical component to what we do, I think it really resonates. And I hope the people listening, you know, to this podcast understand that it's more than just the number of units produced. It's it's, it's much more thing. It is. It is. Yeah, you know you're doing something worthwhile. You know, when you yeah, know exactly that it's going into a sterile vial with no pyrogens and the stopper's sterile and it's processed clean, you know, that's a good feeling. Yeah, it is. That's the assurance part of it. Right, 
that I think that's. Uh, do you have any more questions or Miranda? So yeah, thanks. I, I think Brian, this is good for like someone like myself because not you know ever having witnessed or being in a facility doing what Mike did or does, you know, it's I see the visual and I kind of apply it to you know what I think it feels like and looks like. But um, helpful. I mean, we can go pretty far deep in technical questions and stuff, and you know. I guess that could last forever here in this podcast, but we want to keep it short. And anyone ever has any questions or issues or wants to talk with Mike, you know, certainly you can reach out to us and we can be in touch with them. Mike, any personal stories that you'd like to share with us? I mean, I don't want to get too deep or too into, you know. What I like to tell people is that when I started, it was in the diagnostics industry, which are sterile products, but they're for diagnostic use. And when I started, it was routine to walk into a lab testing human blood all over the place, tubes and tubes and tubes of it with a cup of coffee and a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and sit at the bench with a lab coat with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth, playing with human blood, mouth pipetting. Okay, right now that would be looked at as paleolithic, okay? And it was, but that's how far it's come in just my time in the industry. And right now we're talking nanoparticles and actual use of them. I mean, that, it's incredible. It is. It really is. It doesn't stop being fun and entertaining and informing. Yeah. Agreed. Doesn't stop. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Mike. We don't want to keep you too long. We know you're a busy fella. I wanted to thank you personally for being our final guest here on CMC Live in season one. We certainly have ideas and dreams and more ideas for season two coming up at some point. And I also wanted to thank personally Brian and Maranta. We're here for most of every one of the 24 participated. I, I know we had some great stuff since our last recap. Just as the start of this year, we had some discussion with Paul Long on the complexity of project management and drug development. We talked to myself a couple of times to fill her. I, I usually want to talk about what I used to do since I don't do it so much anymore, but regulatory strategy and putting certain things missions and when and how. And I think all of our discussions encompass technical folks that generate this data, including yourself, Mike. So I know, you know a lot of us are familiar with that. All the way, you know, we actually revisited with Jim Mensel. I, I strongly suggest that anyone goes back and listen to any of his, yeah, four. He has the record for most podcasts with us. Just great stuff. We did some things on quality assurance recently with our panel of, you know, industry experts that have just lived it. So I wanted to thank Brian and, and Miranda for, for going through this with us. Um, you know, stay tuned for more and uh, let us know if you, anyone out there thinks of any topics or have any questions, you know, we'd love to bring you into this in the future. We always love your feedback. Very important. Yeah, yeah. Subscribe to our channels anywhere. So, you know, spread them to your friends, big pharma, large pharma. You know, I love that we get these little groups like PDA and RAPS and the AAPS. And, you know, I know things have changed over the last year. That's life. You know, if you don't change, you go out of business. And I'm sure that with some of the younger folks out there learning from us, you know, mainly everyone here, <laughs> you know, hopefully we can carry that on and train and teach our, you know, our followers after that. And so they can continue to make medicine safe and effective. So with that, thanks everyone again. And we look forward to talking to you in a future. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit dsinformatics.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash CMC live. 
We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.